You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist and joining me is the editor-in-chief of InformedAmerican.com, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, good morning. Morning, Dave. Rodney, not only are you the editor-in-chief, but you also happen to be the smartest man I know. So when I want to discuss topics, I call you up (laughs) to get your answers about all topics going on in the world to help break things down. So I want to thank you for coming on here. And how do you feel about being showered with this this compliment every single week? I think you need to get out more. You you need a bigger circle <laughs> of people that you interact with. That's that's what I think. <laughs> I, I do need to get out more. <laughs> that is absolutely true. In fact, we all need to get out more. And yep. that actually leads us to uh, to one of our, our first topics, which is uh, lockdowns. The claim here from a J.P. Morgan analyst that, that lockdowns may have caused more deaths than the coronavirus itself. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about making China pay, looking at the uh, long-term U.S.-China relationships and how things might work themselves out. But we, and then in addition to that, we've got a lot of little things we want to talk about because we, we cast a wide net, Rodney. And I know you, you always have your eye on, on stuff out there in the news and everything going on out there. And uh, I try to keep up as well. So we're going to might hit a couple of topics. And I, I think I found a good, a good hypocrite story of the week. Can't wait to get to that. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, Ronnie? All right, let's get to this. Let's get to this claim here that I talked about here. Lockdowns may have been caused, uh, may have caused more deaths than coronavirus itself. Now, this comes from J.P. Morgan analyst Marco Kalanovic, who says, "quote uh, And re- recent studies indicate that full lockdown policies in some European countries did not produce any change in pandemic parameters, such as infection growth rates, and hence might not have yielded ad- additional benefits versus less restrictive social distancing measures." Where example of, of Sweden that we've talked about where they didn't they have some they closed some things but for the most part Sweden has been open and I'll end here Rodney before I hand it off however at this time millions of livelihoods were being destroyed by these lockdowns unlike rigorous testing of potential new drugs lockdowns were administered with little consideration that they might not uh, might not only cause economic dis- devastation, but potentially more deaths than the coronavirus itself. And here we're talking about uh, deaths of uh, deaths of despair, Rodney. Uh, we got addiction, right. disease, suicide, and when we, when we know, I think I think we've all seen these uh, suggestions that when someone loses their job uh, over a long period of time, it 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 takes a dive on their on their long term health. It's just you don't can't pay for things. You become you know it just affects your whole life. And it uh, it does present. I mean, is this hype? I want this is my first question, to you, Rodney. Is this hyperbole? I mean, is this a little bit over the top, or could this actually be true? When 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 we look at this thing back, maybe a couple of years later, and be like, wow, these destroying the economy really did have a, a bigger health impact than the coronavirus itself. What do you make of that? I I think it was written for headlines, right? Yeah. Uh, because. <laughs> It's hypothetical, and so how can you know? We have yeah. to keep in mind the reason that the lockdown occurred, and, and I've been on record a long time saying that I think the lockdown was ill-conceived. It could have been more strategic and then more tactical, keeping at-risk populations much safer and quarantined and some different things versus the lockdown. Um, but you have to look at the idea that we were trying to stop an overwhelming number of people from flooding into healthcare facilities, like in Italy, right. the small town, you know, in the Lombardo region of Italy, where they did not have beds, people were dying in hallways. And so they could not provide care. That was just for the coronavirus patients. What about the guy who had a heart attack? 
What yeah. about the guy who had a blood clot? What about the guy who had whatever, right? You could not service regular people, much less those that were coming in with this acute situation. No, in it's, fact, I heard, uh, sorry, just to jump in for a second. I, from what I heard, especially uh, or particularly in Italy, since you mentioned it, they were in fact turning people away regardless of what was going on. And, and right. who knows? I mean, this isn't quite, it wouldn't quite add to the calculus of uh, lockdown causing uh, more death than the coronavirus. But who knows? Untold, untold heart attacks, stroke victims who have died as a result of, look, you can't come in the hospital or, or they don't go to the hospital because they're afraid. So good. Exactly. But, but getting back to your point, um, when you look at the lockdown and what occurred and people say, well, the Swedish model is to not lock down, it's a bit misleading because if you look at GDP in Sweden, the change in GDP, the fall, compared to its Nordic neighbors, mm -hmm. it fell close to the same amount. And so what happened is people self-selected not to go out. They, they said, hey, I recognize this as, you know, something that's important. And so while they didn't tell anyone they had to close, you had people not going to many businesses yeah. and causing the same kind of, you know, uh, retrenchment in GDP. The difference in Sweden is that, one, you did have more infections than their Nordic neighbors there with the Netherlands and, you know, Denmark. Uh, yeah. But on the flip side, they don't have to reopen. So people can just go back more quickly without all of this hullabaloo that we're having to deal with here and other nations are as well. And so they have a much faster path to recovery economically than other nations do. And that's going to be the very interesting point is their long-term fatality rate, which arguably if they've achieved some herd immunity should be, you know, close to everybody else's when this is over, not today, but when this is over and their GDP should recover more quickly. But I agree that uh, certainly this is going to cause long-term effects, and one of them is going to be health-related. We're not even close to seeing the business effects yet. I mean, not, not even close. We're going to get to the end of the summer and have to figure out how many thousands of small businesses are just gone, how many you know, large businesses contracted. Starbucks is telling their, uh, their landlords they're not paying their rent. I mean, it's, we're not close yet. Uh, yeah. And even on top of that, I mean, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Um, but it's not only just, you know, not paying the rent, but I've heard, uh, I believe it's maybe Twitter, Facebook, and Google are saying, one of them says, forget even coming into the office for the rest of the year or in the summer, at least to October. I mean, what does this do to commercial real estate going forward, Rodney? Potentially. Uh, right. This is huge. And it's something I've been writing about for weeks now is, look, the, the massacre happens in the business sector, right? You don't want to lose your house. And so, will home prices fall? Yeah, probably. Will they fall a ton? I don't know. We're going to have to find out because yeah. there's not a lot of supply there. But in the business world, if I can't make my business rent, I'm certainly not going to empty out my personal savings account just to pay this landlord. I'm going to let the business go. Let that darn thing go bankrupt and tell the landlord, figure it out. And that's what's going on. And there was a story from 2009, 2010. Um, and I was looking for it this morning. I, I wasn't able to find it. It was one of the big banks. It was like JP Morgan or somebody that bailed on a billion dollars in commercial real estate in California, and they just let it go into default. And that's after we bailed out the banks. Wow. It's just a business decision. And so, yeah, you look at the top line and the bottom line, and when it doesn't make sense, you just cut it off and say, I'm done. And so Vornado Real Estate Trust, which is a big uh, commercial real estate uh, entity in New York City, they are out of their minds because they have so many tenants not paying rent. And so we're going to see that happen across the business sector. And like I said, you know, a couple of minutes ago, Starbucks is telling people we're not paying. A lot of corporate clients are saying, nope, not going to happen. So we either figure it out or you lose a tenant. 
Uh, to that, Rodney, we, we, so we've been, pa- I'm sorry, well, Congress has been passing relief packages after relief pack. I believe there's two, and now there's a third on the Senate's desk. And, I mean, do, does this get done soon, or do we wait to see who some of the big, uh, who, who some of the really, in other words, is, do we not even know yet? It seems like what you're saying. We don't even know yet what, what the, how extensive this economic devastation is and, and where. It's not going to change it. And so it's something you alluded to a minute ago. Zillow said, don't come back for the rest of the year. Facebook said, hey, get used to working from home. Yeah. Uh, Box, if you use, yeah, I know that you and I have used Dropbox to exchange some files and things. Yeah. And so they told everybody, look, we built this really cool headquarters with this, you know, cold press <laughs> coffee on tap. We don't even need the building anymore. <laughs> and so not just are people saying, one, we don't have the money to pay because yeah. our, our uh, you know, revenue is down, but people who do have the money who aren't bringing um, workers into the office are saying, we're not coming back. So we don't need this really big building. So sue us or, you know, something along those lines, even if they keep paying today, it means that the future value of the building is markedly less than it is today or was, you know, back in February. That is a huge change because commercial real estate kept going up, 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 up. And if people are looking at it and saying they're not going to use as much, then all of a sudden the value of that real estate drops like a rock. Well, the knock-on effects, right? Certainly the landlord has a problem. The people who back that building with uh, investment dollars or bonds has a problem. The local taxing authority has a problem because businesses pay taxes on real estate and it is a big part of income for cities, counties, and states. And so the knock-on from this is tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and then we're seeing how, how our, the way we, the way we live has changed and it, it continues to change. And, you know, just because it is, it literally is just because you've done things one way doesn't mean you always need to do, do them another way. And sometimes we've been, in this case, we're essentially forced to kind of do things another way. And then you just settle into some kind of a new normal. And to that, looking over at China, Rodney, uh, we have we've had a relationship with the with the with the Chinese uh, buy, no, buying products. We allowed them into the World Trade Organization in 2001. We all know the story about jobs going overseas and buying things from China and all that. And then this all comes to a head with the coronavirus. And in the background there, I mean, the President Trump was 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 in the middle of a trade war with the country while while all this happened. So the question is, what what goes forward with China? Now, there are three Republican senators who are on the warpath, so to speak. You've got Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, all introducing some version of legislation uh, either to investigate China, to allow Americans to sue, uh, to uh, Tom Cotton, uh, there's something related to the Defense, Pro- Defense Production Act, which is to make sure that we can produce our own pharmaceuticals, things like that, rather than relying on not just China, but really a- any other country. Um, Ted Cruz is going after Chinese propaganda, covering up medical stuff. So, what do we, where, where do we go here from China? I mean, there, there's some, there's some interesting polling data that I found. For, uh, this one came from Bloomberg. It says uh, 78% of Americans were willing to pay for, pay more for products not made in China. 40% said, I don't, I don't know how much this, how temporary this is, but 40% of Americans say they won't buy products made in China. There may not be a choice there for those exactly. 40%. Uh, but interestingly, 65% would like to see tariffs boosted on China. So, what do you make of American sentiment? towards China and some of the some of the bigger government actors kind of going after China and not being shy about it. Yeah, again, you know, some headline grabbing there. Okay. Um, the idea of suing China over the virus, you'd, you'd have to find something pretty big and then you'd have to find a, a venue 
um, or jurisdiction for suing them. Where exactly is that going to be? Yeah. Somebody who has jurisdiction over the nation of China and what enforcement are you looking at? I think that's long protracted and more about attention seeking than anything else. I think they're paying a price. And the price is what you said in that polling data uh, where Americans are not, they're not as, you know, just kind of laissez-faire about it as they were. People have had kind of an uneasy feeling about buying products from China, certainly over buying products from America for a long time, but we vote with our pocketbooks, right? And so you look at the product from China, you know, the cord for your iPhone, and you look at the product from somewhere else, probably not from the United States, because making them is, you know, ridiculously cheap and hard to do in the United States with all the regulations. Yeah. And the one from China is eight bucks, and the one from somewhere else is $12. Which one are you going to buy, right? Yeah. And so it's that sort of decision across 240 million American adults that drives the, the Chinese revolution and industrialization because they make products cheaper. They did. Some of that, of course, is moving off. But China's so intertwined in the global supply chain, it's going to be really hard to cut them off. Now, that being said, you don't have to stop buying stuff from China to make this painful. What you have to do is stop growing what you buy from China to make this painful. And I think it's a much more interesting story um, to talk about this, the companies that perhaps aren't moving all the way back to the United States, but mm -hmm. are diversifying away from China into Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, you know, other places that are close enough to where the supply chain can touch each other, pieces of the supply chain can touch each other, but they're not totally locked into whatever China's doing. And I, I want to wear a Taiwan t-shirt. I just, I love the whole idea that Taiwan is just a thorn in the side of China. Yeah. And they do really good work in terms of building stuff. I mean, Taiwan Semiconductor, for, for instance. Uh, and so there are some opportunities for people to move pieces of their supply chain out of China. And stopping that growth rate of that nation is very, very painful for them. Now, that's only, that only solves, I guess to say, sort of part of the problem. Uh, the other part is... Is it, is it, well, if you're, if it's simply anti-China, I guess, then, then, then mission accomplished. But if you're concerned about trying to also bring things back, manufacturing back, jobs back, yeah. that doesn't help the situation one bit. Then you just, if something's made in Vietnam versus China, then that's sort of doesn't matter. But unless, I guess you're saying you're just uh, not letting those profits go to China then. Well, they, it, but your point is well taken, right? The, the pharmaceutical win is one that's easiest to talk about. Um, because we look at it and say, wait a second, why are we allowing drugs that can be, of course, life-saving be made elsewhere and held hostage isn't the right word. It's not like, you know, India was holding hostage, you know, doses of hydroxychloroquine or anything, but they were certainly saying, hey, wait a second, we have to make sure that it's local, right? That yep. we're taking care of ourselves first. And so why aren't we making sure that we're producing enough of that to where we've taken care of America first? And if you're going to do that and you look at the cost of manufacturing, then you have to incentivize the manufacturer in some way, which is a very boring way of saying <laughs> you're going to have to give them a tax break or a subsidy to make this go. And yeah. that's exactly what we did in the past. We gave a tax break to people who would manufacture in Puerto Rico back in the 1970s, I believe it was. And yeah, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, 936 of the IRS code was, here's this tax break in Puerto Rico, and it worked, right? We, yeah. we 
you know, did a lot of legal drugs in Puerto Rico. And then in the mid 90s, it was like, wait a second, why does Puerto Rico get this a territory when states don't get this or other territories? And so there was a 10 year phase out for that to go away. And by 2006, it did go away. Puerto Rico never recovered, by the way. But they have a lot of pharmaceuticals still down there in, in a small way, and they could ramp up. But to make it happen, to make it economically viable, we would have to say we as American taxpayers are willing to subsidize those entities to make that go. And then you got a food fight on your hands because the representative from Puerto Rico in the House is going to say, yes, we've got it all, bring it back. But yeah. the guy in New York who's in upstate is going to say, wait a second. We've got a lot of uh, good research up here in upstate New York, and we were just crucified by this virus. We need more help on the money front, so you should do it for us. Massachusetts is a biopharmaceutical you know, kind of haven, and they're going to have a claim on that. And so then it becomes, who do you give the incentive to in terms of a state and location? It's a it's a fight, but I think it's one worth hashing out. That's a, that's my last word on that topic. Uh, Ronnie, you've got uh, a story, a couple of stories on InformedAmerican.com that I want to hit on. One of them is should college football or should colleges play football with no fans or simply not not play at all? And it's a weird one uh, that you quote uh, here, Jim Harbaugh, a Michigan coach, saying that yeah, he wants to coach and he thinks the players want to want to play, and if, you know we're going to play, we want to play whether there's fans or not. It's kind of weird, though, with a, a game without fans. What do, what do you think of this in the prospect of, well, one, playing games without fans, or two, maybe not even there being a football in the fall? I think it's people wanting to close the door after themselves, right? <laughs> Don't let anybody in after me. Yeah. Uh, let me do my job and then stop right behind me. See, because right behind me is where the line should be, getting into a nightclub, getting into a restaurant, getting into a theater. Uh, let me play football, but stop it at the fans. If you're going to allow people to make decisions on their safety, allow everybody to make decisions on their safety. Yeah. If people want to go watch a football game, let them go watch a football game. I think we're not giving enough credit to people who are saying, look, I actually can make a decision on my health as to what I want to do. And so uh, I, I think the game should be played. I think a lot of these games should be played. Football is a good one, although it does come in the fall. There's a question about that. But baseball. Man, you sit in the stands and you sweat like crazy in the sun. <laughs> Viruses don't travel very well in that kind of a hot, terrible environment. Somebody wants to go sweat away in, in you know, a stadium in, in July, let, uh, let them do it. And so that's, yeah. that's what I think we should let people do. Rodney, I shared with you a photo. Uh, it was a tweet from uh, Tony Barnhart who says, it's a photo of uh, undetermined Georgia Tech game starting in the 1918 football season. This is during the Spanish flu pandemic. And you've got men in the stands, by the way, all wearing suits uh, and hats. <laughs> men in the stands and everyone's wearing, but it, it, more than suits and hats, they all have a, a face mask on. And it's interesting. It didn't even, it's, uh, it was widespread. I mean, this could be, this could be the picture, uh, you know, over a hundred years later in the stands. What do you think of that? Everyone out there wearing a mask. I love Georgia Tech. My, my middle child, my older daughter went there, and they're smart people. And look at they were showing it 100 years ago, and I bet Georgia Tech would do it again today. However, they would have on their face mask Rambling Rex from Georgia Tech. It would clearly <laughs> have a logo on it. And it's another opportunity for the NCAA to make some money. So what the heck? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, official, official branded face masks. That's uh, it. Just, just to answer my own question that I put to you on this, I would say if you're not going to have fans, don't play. Because I, I happened to one night come across, I think it was South Korean baseball on ESPN without fans, and it was dreadful. Now, I didn't know the 
I didn't know the teams or the players right. or anything like that, but it was like, oh my God, turn this off. I think the rise and fall of the crowd in a sporting event is like is half the experience, just to, even just seeing it on TV. So I would say uh, no, no, no to that. So you're absolutely right, and that brings up something we don't talk about very often. When you watch sports at home alone, you're not watching the game alone. You're watching the game remotely, but with the other fans, and yeah. there is a community there. And, of course, you can go to a bar and watch sports, you know, on television with the people around you as well. But the whole idea of a sporting event played for just you, which is what it would feel like to watch it at home with no <laughs> one in the stands, is, it, it, it has to be very strange. I, yeah. I don't know that I would enjoy that very much. Now, to, to make up for this, uh, South Korean soccer team has been putting, uh, they've been filling these stands with, uh, <laughs> this is another story from informedamerican.com, they've been f filling stands with mannequins, cardboard cutouts, uh, and in one case, <laughs> in this case, the Uber, it, they filled them accidentally with sex dolls. <laughs> what about this? <laughs> to their credit, FC Seoul said that they didn't know they were sex dolls. They called around for mannequins. Some guy he said, yeah, I got them. And they said, what do they look like? Well, they're kind of realistic looking. Um, nobody noticed that they all happen to be That's women. That's the whole point. They're supposed to be realistic looking. <laughs> exactly. And they were all very buxom. Um, apparently, they all had logos from adult toys on their clothing, too. Very strange. Uh -huh. I don't know. I, I read somewhere else um, past that, although I didn't look into it further, that they're having to pay a fine for that. Well, how did they figure this? The guy walked by and go, oh, I got one of those at home. <laughs> <laughs> but But... You talk about people watching television for a different reason. I mean, people probably went and tuned in after they heard the story to say, wait a second, what does this look like? So, yeah, anyway. I like them looking for the redhead in, in, uh, in row six. <laughs> Rodney, last item I want to get to before we get out of here is the hypocrite of the week. And I'm calling it, and uh, this comes from the New York Times story. I just want to get your reaction. I don't, I don't even feel like I need to say anything after I read this caption of a New York Times story. Uh, this, this is, this, uh, from Susan Faldi is so important in the, in the, uh, it's, it's entitled Opinion. Believe All Women is a Right-Wing Trap. How Feminists Got Stuck Answering for a Canard. And this continues, Feminists never said believe all women. The right inserted the all. Feminists said believe women. That is, start with the assumption that women are telling the truth instead of reflexively doubting them. Uh, does this, this, I believe the statement is, is like history started yesterday. I mean, we're not. <laughs> what, what, is your, what is your immediate reaction to this? I think mine is this is textbook gaslighting. What do you think? Yeah, it's the same thing, right? It's, um, it's what we always hear, and, and, and this happens to be um, from people who were just brutal uh, with now Justice Kavanaugh yeah. saying, well, even though there's no corroborating evidence, even though nobody else can say this happened, even though, you know, there was no evidence at the time of, you know, temporal, contemporary, uh, telling other people, all that stuff, you still must believe her. And it's like, wait a second. This sure seems like you're saying something different with Joe Biden when there's not only, um, you know, contemporaneous information that she told other people. There's actually a sexual harassment filing that she did based on some of this from the 1990s. Um, I'm much more um, respectful of the feminist. And I can't remember her name who said, yep, I believe Tara Reid, Joe Biden's accuser. I'm voting for him anyway, because frankly, that's where people get to is like if you believe that person did something, you know, poor. Are you going to then reward the other side's candidate? And that's kind of where all this goes is they, people, 
in general, tend to make a, a big righteous push when it's their side that's going to benefit, and then yeah. they back away later. So yeah, this this hypocrisy just reveals that it's always been political. It was never any different. It's always been cynical politics, and pretend pretending otherwise is is I think what really infuriates uh, people. But, well, but to that end, I mean, the whole idea if somebody brings up a claim, believe that they're serious about it, right? Bringing up something like that, investigate it, but then look at the facts at the end of the day and make an informed decision. I, lots of people say things that turn out not to be true or to be utterly false and malicious, uh, but it doesn't mean you don't investigate it. But frankly, I don't believe all of anybody. So yeah. I don't even believe you all the time. Dave. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't <laughs> trust me. <laughs> but everybody should trust you because you are the editor of Informed American. And I want everyone to become an informed American by going to, uh, but first by, by subscribing to this channel. And if you've enjoyed this show, hit the like button and go to informedamerican.com. Rodney, what are you working on? Over the, We've got a three-day weekend coming up. People are out there looking to catch up on some stuff. What can they expect uh, uh, in their inbox or, uh, or on the website? Well, it's going to be stories about the beach. Uh, it's going to be a lot about how we did or did not keep our social distance from others over the holiday. And then it's going to be watching the numbers of uh, rising cases. We have some here in Texas. But the question is, are the rising number of cases just more testing or does it have to do with people getting back out and about? And so I think the story of next week is going to be about what we did over the holiday as a nation and uh, connected to that, what happened to businesses are they open? Are they making revenue? Does it look like it's going to be an okay summer? Or is this as bad as we think it might be? Well, I'll tell you, for, for my part, we're, I'm not going anywhere, but I will be enjoying the Monday off. <laughs> no. Yes, I want go go check out all those uh, stories at informedamerican.com. And you can get real smart news in your email inbox every single day by going to the site and signing up. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time. Fight fake news and find common ground.